hope you enjoy this week's message and that as you listen, your faith truly does come alive in Jesus. Okay, I love my board game, so it's going to be about Monopoly. Better yet, this version of Monopoly is a version that you yourself have designed, okay? This is my version, Benopoly. Your version might be different, Jezopoly, Steveopoly, whatever it is. You've just gone out and bought it, and you've brought it home, you've invited some friends around, and you're going to play it for the first time, okay? You tear off the shrink wrap, you unfold the four squares of the board and excitedly lay it out on the table, because who doesn't love a good game of Monopoly? You give everyone the right amount of money, and you lay it out neatly in front of you. You choose your player tokens, you choose the dog, because the dog's the best. You put the chance and community cards, um, chance and community chess cards out, you get the dice, and you're ready to play, but before your friend rolls the dice to see who goes first, you point out in this shiny new rule book a new rule that you've added for this version. Okay? Your friends are intrigued, so they grab the rule book and start reading it out. It says, if the designer of this Monopoly version is playing in your game, aka you, they will begin that game with an advantage. Okay? Your friends look at you with a skeptical, puzzled look, but continues reading. This advantage is that they will begin the game with all 28 properties in their possession. <laughs> Your friends look at you in disbelief. They cannot believe it. They're in an absolute uproar about this new rule as you sit there quietly with a sly grin on your face. Now, this doesn't seem very fair, does it? Because you are obviously going to win that game, and it's probably not going to be very fun for your friends. They'll pack up and probably just go home. Now, this is a little bit of a ridiculous scenario, but it is surprisingly similar to what it's like for God in everyday life. God made everything. He wrote the rule book, and guess what? He's rigged it. He is guaranteed to win. And not only that, if God ever has someone on his team, like you or me, that person is guaranteed to win as well. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now this statement, if God is for us, who can be against us, does not mean that nothing or no one will come up against us, because they certainly have and they certainly will continue to. But it does mean that whatever does come up against us, no matter how big it feels or how big it is, is insignificant compared to the power that we have with God on our side. So what does this statement mean for you? If you have a think about what does, if God is for us, who can be against us? What does that mean to you? Well, for me, it has a lot to do with God's provision. I look back on some of the big events and changes that have happened in my life, and I see God directing, leading, and providing for me in all of them, and bringing good things, no matter what comes up against me. For you, it might be a little bit different. It might be that you don't have to be scared or worried when troubles come your way, or that he gives you more confidence to, give, to do what God's asked of you because you know that he's always with you. Now, we're going to talk about King Jehoshaphat now. King Jehoshaphat was one of the many kings of Judah in the Old Testament. There he is up there, King Jehoshaphat, in all his power. He was a pretty good king. Uh, he, did, he did good most of the time. Um, the Bible says that he did right in the eyes of the Lord, um, which basically just means he, he did good. 
So one of the things that he did well is talked about in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. If you want to flick down your Bibles, feel free to. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Um, basically, what happens in this story is that three massive armies come up against the people of Judah and King Jehoshaphat, and they want to completely wipe them out. They want to wipe them off the face of the earth. There all the armies are. Now, as soon as King Jehoshaphat hears about this great army coming up against them, we read in verse 3, Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. His immediate response was to seek God out. And I think we all know what the best thing to, that, that, that is the best thing to do in this situation, but do we react that way? What do we do when troubles come our way? Now, I just graduated from university at the end of last year, um, and obviously the next step is to move into full-time work, or otherwise known as proper adulting. And I've been working... <laughs> um, I've been working at this place for about a year and a half, a couple of days a week, um, while I finished university. Um, but I'd been told by this place that they were keen to keep me on full-time um, after I graduated. So I was keeping my eye on other places, but essentially I had this one locked in, and I was ready to go. But about a month ago, I got a call from my boss saying that um, they instead wanted a more experienced person, and so they'd be letting me go immediately. This left me with no job and no income, and paired with Gab, my beautiful wife over there, also unfortunately not having a job at that time, it left us in a pretty difficult situation. Kids, as you'll find out one day, living is expensive and you need the money. <laughs> now my first reaction, as soon as I heard that news, was one, to try and figure out what to do, figure out a plan, and then two, to freak out, and then three, to go and hide from what's just happened through social media and TV. Bit of a contrast to how Jehoshaphat responded in his time of trouble. Now, it's all well and good for us to say that God is on our side, but how do we actually let God fight for us? How do we rest assured knowing that if God is for us, it doesn't actually matter what comes up against us? Well, I think there's a lot we can learn from King Jehoshaphat in this story. So after hearing the news of these armies coming against him, Jehoshaphat decides to pray. That's always a good step. He does so in a way that I think we can learn a lot from. Firstly, he begins by praising God for who he is. He says, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Secondly, he goes on to acknowledge or recognize what God has done in the past. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And finally, he asks for God's help. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's something I should have said when I, when I lost my job. I should have said, God, I have no idea what to do right now. I'm worried. I'm scared. I can't see past this right now, but I know that you're in control. I know that you've helped me before, so many times before. I give this over to you. Thank you that you've got this. I didn't do that. But that's what I should have done. So there's those three things that Jehoshaphat did in his time of trouble. Praise God for who he is, acknowledged what God's already done, and then asked him for help. The next day when they went out for battle, they found that there would be no fight because the armies had 
turned on each other. God had fought for the people of Judah. God was on their side, so it didn't matter what came up against them. I'm going to put a pause on this for now. I'm going to play a game. All right, well, we're good to go. This second part, we're going to jump into another story now in the book of Esther, okay? This is another story about God fighting for his people. The book of Esther is actually pretty crazy. If you read it, it gives me Hunger Games vibes for some reason. I don't know, but we'll see. Uh, Basically, let's uh, go through a little summary. This woman called Esther uh, is a Jew who's living in uh, this big place that's under the rule of a non-Jewish king called King Xerxes. There we go, we've got Esther there. uh, There she is. We'll click through to see King Xerxes. Pretty much, King Xerxes is looking for a new queen. And he decides that Esther is so beautiful, like like Gab just there, so beautiful, (laughs) that King Xerxes chooses Esther to be his new queen. Okay? Now Esther has a, a couple other characters. Queen Esther has a cousin called Mordecai, who's, uh, who's with her, tries to help her every step of the way. There's also, in the background though, this really evil guy called Haman. But yeah, boo, that's it. Haman is like the king's right-hand man. And uh, Haman becomes super angry with Mordecai. He becomes super angry because Mordecai won't bow down to him like everyone else. So as a result, Haman writes a decree and gets the king to give him his special signet ring to stamp onto the decree so that everyone knows that it's from the king. All right, basically this decree says that on this one day later in the year, anyone who wants to can decide to destroy the Jews. They can do whatever they want to them, they can just get rid of them however they want to. Now, as the story goes on, Haman is revealed as the evil man that he is, and Queen Esther uses her position of authority to plead the king to change the decree. But, since the decree was stamped with the king's signet ring, it could not be undone. So instead, Esther and Mordecai, with the permission of the king, write down another decree, saying on this particular day when everyone is allowed to go kill the Jews, the Jews are allowed to defend themselves however they need to, okay? And that is exactly what they did. When this day came around, 75,000 people came to try and kill the Jews, but they defended themselves from every single one of them. Now, What can we learn from Esther and Mordecai about allowing God to fight for them? Well, if we go back to chapter 4, we see the first thing they did was mourn. It says that Mordecai cried loudly and bitterly. See, it's okay to get overwhelmed. It's okay to get sad. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think it's actually really important to do that, to face the issue. When I lost my job, one of the things I did, as I mentioned, was hide from it, drown it out with distractions. And that it might be okay for a time, might not be, but there comes a time when you have to face it. Shortly after, Mordecai writes to Esther asking her to go to the king to beg him to have mercy on the Jews. 
He then says, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your, family father, and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Don't you think that the faith Mordecai shows here is just immense? He knows with no doubt that God will save his people. He has full faith in God and trusts him completely. Do we have that sort of trust? Could we stand firm and trust God when our world seems to be falling apart? Another thing from this passage is the fact that Mordecai recognised the opportunity that God had provided, that he'd placed Esther in this position as queen and given her influence over the king. Have you guys heard about that story about a man in floodwaters waiting for God to save him? Uh, basically, this person is in floodwaters, he's, um, he's worried and he needs help. And this person in a canoe rows past and he calls out to him, get in the, get in the canoe, I'll save you, it's okay. Um, but he refuses, saying that, no, it's all right, God's going to save me. Then same thing happens with a boat, comes past. And then again with a helicopter, he still refuses and says no. And eventually this man drowns because he's not accepted this help. And he gets to heaven and he says to God, God, why didn't you save me? And God replies, I sent you a canoe, a boat and a helicopter. What are you doing? <laughs> In Ephesians, Paul tells us to live wisely by making the most of every opportunity. Mordecai recognized the opportunity provided to them and Esther faithfully and courageously made the most out of it. I'm going to invite the band up um, for one more song once I finish here. Um, how well do you think that you recognise the opportunities that God gives you? And when you do recognise them, do you make the most out of them? We can see these, th these key things to learn about how, God let, how to let God fight for us, both in the story of Jehoshaphat and Esther and Mordecai. In each story, they reacted faithfully but differently to the situation. But there's something that they do both have in common. They let God into the situation and did what he wanted them to. They acted, but they acted with God in accordance with his will. Now for us, acting, when God, acting with God when problems arise could be very different. It might mean praying through the situation or it might mean stepping out and doing something that we're not used to or that we're a little bit scared of. It all depends on what God asks of you. But we can rest assured knowing that whatever situation it might be, whatever we need to do, if God is for us, who can be against us? Thanks heaps for listening to this week's message. To find out more about what's happening in the life of our church and how you can join in with all the fun, head to newvinelengths.com.au or find us on social media. Have a lovely week.